Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment two, we'll give you our Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. In segment three, yet another athlete caught in the cross lights, our PR nightmare of the week. We'll discuss that. And in segment four, we're going to give you a recap of the Masters, the TV numbers, the online numbers, Tiger, Phil, the big winners, the losers, all coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. We've got a Facebook page. You can become our friend. Just look for that link on our blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Want to congratulate again David Marsh from the Nines Hotel in Portland, Oregon. David and I enjoyed a thrilling NBA game this past week in Portland. Marcus Canby turned back the clock. The Blazers, the Thunder. See, I like Marcus Camby. My good friend Rick Kaplan is Marcus's agent. So every point that Marcus scored, it was like more dollars in Marcus's and Rick's pockets. Happy to be joined in studio by Bobby Corser, fresh out of the hospital. Bobby, glad you're upright and feeling better. And Nathan Roach, five and a half weeks away from being Big Daddy Kane. Big Daddy. That's Big, me. Big wow. Daddy. This is an exciting time for you. Oh, very exciting time for me. But, uh, you know, we'll see. It's it's nerve-wracking as well. So uh, a lot going on with the SBR team right now. A lot going on, but we're going to talk about the Masters. I got to tell you, on Sunday, I was glued to the TV. Um, you know, Tiger, Phil had all the drama, but the numbers weren't quite what I thought they would be on TV. They were good, but they weren't historic. And we'll tell you what those numbers were in segment four. Other headlines of the week coming up. John Wall could be the number one pick in the NBA draft. We told you last week he's turning pro. He's making headway on an agent. He may even have a shoe deal. Who's it with? We'll tell you. That's coming up next in Sports Business Radio headlines sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. You're listening to Sports Business Radio will be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, 
passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headlines, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, just days after leading Butler to the national title game and a school record 33 wins, Brad Stevens has signed a 12-year extension. He's under contract at the school guys until the 2021-22 season. Uh, They've got him locked up for a while. And Stevens made $400,000 as his base salary last year. Doesn't say what his salary is now, but I'd be surprised if it's not up close to a million dollars. He's probably got some other incentives with that. He's got to deal with Nike. Um, so, you know, he probably could have gotten paid more money at somewhere like the University of Oregon, but he's loyal to Butler, and, you know, they've taken good care of him. He was an assistant coach there. He, his family likes Indianapolis, so he's locked in. And if you look at Butler, they've got a lot of their players coming back. If Gordon Hayward decides to come back, Butler's a team that could be right back in the finals next year. Look, I'm, I appreciate loyalty more than anybody else in sports. I, I love seeing coaches loyal, but... I say, and not to take anything away from Stevens, but we see this happen all the time. A coach has a great run in the NCAA tournament or has a great football season, and all of a sudden they get a huge contract. I think if it's me, Stevens needs to prove himself for a couple more years in order to have a 12-year contract signed. Now, this, he's loyal to the school, and I think that that's noble, but that's a huge contract for someone who had a great run in one tournament. Well, but they've okay, so it was one tournament, but in the regular season for the last few years, they've done very well. Absolutely. And this is like the third contract extension he's gotten. It's obviously the longest of any of the extensions he's gotten. But, you know, there's some people that would argue, hey, Stevens, go while the getting's good. You should have gone to a place where you could have gotten maybe three or four million dollars a year. What if one of your star players gets hurt. What if the team doesn't meet expectations next year? Maybe you're not as hot of a commodity, and you should strike while the iron's hot. But again, I can never fault a guy for being loyal. His family likes Indianapolis, and Butler seems to be taking good care of him for the area that he's in. Well, and he's going to become kind of, I think, like the Mark Few is at Gonzaga. He's an icon there now. He's a legend. You know, he's a celebrity on campus. And uh, you can't fault the guy for staying. I just say the university, 12 years, I mean, maybe five, but 12 years is a long time. And do you think that guy will ever have to pay for another dinner in Indianapolis again? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, so he can go out whenever he wants and uh, tabs on someone else. And he's young, so good for him. He is very young. Our next headline. Sources indicate that NBA draft prospect guard John Wall, formerly of the University of Kentucky, is close to partnering with LRMR Marketing for representation. They also say there is a prepared endorsement contract forthcoming from Reebok that would pay John Wall 3 to $4 million annually, and he would replace Allen Iverson as the basketball face for Reebok. This is interesting on several levels. Number one, LeBron James is the head of LRMR. That's a bunch, you know, that's his buddies that he grew up with that run LRMR. So it's interesting to me, you know, what does this mean for LeBron and John Wall's relationship, potential business dealings? And also, is it a conflict of interest for LeBron James, who's an NBA player, to kind of be representing 
He won't be doing day-to-day stuff, but his company's representing another NBA player. We know that he represents Ted Ginn Jr. of the Miami Dolphins, but that's in the NFL. This is the first NBA player that they're representing. And then if they sign him to a deal with Reebok, everyone knows LeBron just re-signed with Nike. He's got a long-time relationship with Nike. It's just kind of an odd setup on a few different levels. I agree that it's an odd setup, but let's face it. This is a business decision. LeBron is becoming a businessman, and what LeBron does on the court I don't think is going to have any impact on what he does as far as his business is concerned. LeBron James, do you really think that he's actually going to root for Wall to get more face time and his team to do well in the playoffs so that you know he gets more exposure for his company? I doubt it. LeBron James wants to win, and he wants to make money, and this is a great combination of both. My only question here is the guy still has not played an NBA game yet. Yes, he's a good college basketball athlete. He wasn't even though the college player of the year per se. And yeah, he had a great run in the tournament. But you know, I could understand Reebok going after him, maybe even Nike. But I, the whole LeBron angle is the one thing though. Just it just kind of makes me scratch my head. I don't get it. Well, it's kind of like okay, Michael Jordan, who owns the Charlotte Bobcats now, who also is the face of the Jordan brand, and Dwayne Wade and Chris Paul and several other NBA players are Jordan endorsers. You know, does Jordan have any kind of an advantage in getting them to come to the Bobcats, which, you know, I know they won't. But it's an interesting relationship, to say the least. It kind of raises an eyebrow, and it's something to definitely keep an eye on in the future. Our next headline, Target Field opens in Minnesota. Uh, Almost 40,000 come out to opening day. And by all accounts, I've not been there yet. This is a fantastic field. We know it's the first time they've played in their own home since 1961 it's the way that they're able to pay joe mauer 23 million dollars a year because now they get all of the sponsor signage money they're not splitting it with the vikings or anyone else it's their own home and you know what anytime we can get out of a dome and play baseball outside it's great but a little chilly in april in minneapolis oh i completely agree i mean The Baltimore Orioles wish they could get that kind of crowd right now. I think the Orioles earlier this week had 9,000 people come to the game. Uh, You know, this is great for Minnesota. I agree with you on on the Dome. I've never liked baseball played in domes. And, uh, you know, these new stadiums are great to see all the features that they have, and this is just one more example. Speaking of stadiums, we all saw the footage of Irving Stadium in Dallas, Texas, imploded this week, blown up. I was a little bit sad. You know, as a kid growing up, I liked the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not a big fan now, but I love Tom Landry, Tony Dorsett, Roger Staubach. You know, that was a great team, and they played some really memorable games in that stadium. And, you know, it's kind of like when Yankee Stadium is knocked to the ground. It was not Yankee Stadium or, you know, Fenway Park or Boston Garden or anything like that. But uh, a lot of memories there, and anytime something gets blown up like that it's a little bit uh emotional well here's the depressing thing for me anymore is that all these old stadiums that are getting blown up where they have their original names for the most part all these new stadiums are corporate stadiums there's there's barely any stadiums left like yankee stadium or wrigley field even though i know that's a cowboy stadium exactly it's something that's just a stadium without some corporate name attached to it you know it was really cool to kind of watch the footage but i loved reading the comments from jerry jones and different people and they were saying you know what You'll never see another stadium like this with a hole in the roof so God can watch his team play. And, you know, he might be God's team. It might be America's team. But guess what? The building's now gone, and they have a better, you know, facility. And, hey, nothing against the old Cowboy Stadium, but I, like, I think the new one. Pretty money. Easily, yeah. Our next headline, let's stick in the NFL. St. Louis Rams minority owner Stan Kroenke is 
in a surprise move, decided to exercise his right of first refusal to purchase the remaining 60% of the team owned by Chip Rosenblum and Lucia Rodriguez. This according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Now, Kroenke already owns 40% of the Rams, so a successful acquisition would give him 100% ownership. And his decision comes after Rosenblum and Rodriguez in February agreed to sell 60% to Flex and Gate president Shahid Khan. We had talked about that on the show before. Kroenke had 60 days to declare his intentions with respect to the team as part of the original agreement to purchase up to 40% of the Rams when late owner Georgia Frontieri moved the franchise to St. Louis. So Stan Kroenke, lots of money, held in high esteem, owns several different sports teams. Uh, you know, I think the NFL and Roger Goodell would be very happy to see him take 100% ownership of the Rams, but it's a little surprising. People weren't expecting. They thought, you know, he'd sell out altogether, but now you know, he's kind of said, hey, I want all in. Hey, you know, when you're spending that kind of money, it always blows my mind the whole concept of a minority ownership. If I'm spending millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to be a part owner, I want to have a little more control than 40%, especially if there's an opportunity for me to own 100% of the team. Our last headline of the week, Casey Kane, the hottest potential free agent in NASCAR entering this season. He's reportedly signed a multi-year agreement to join Hendrick Motorsports. This is according to multiple sources that they confirmed at ESPN.com earlier this week. Bobby, what does this mean? Basically, the hottest free agent, as you said, is now going to join the p- most powerful racing team. Jimmy Johnson's won the last you know, three straight NASCAR titles. He has a contract through 2015. Dale Jr. has a contract with Hendrick through 2013. Jeff Gordon has a lifetime contract. You add Casey Kane in here, who would have reportedly started in 2011, and you have Mark Martin, one of the all-time veterans, whose contract reportedly is up through 2011, but they're also discussing an expansion. You're going to have a six-team possible like major league, this is the NASCAR team. This is the team that will go in and dominate. This is the Yankees. Yes, yes. the Yankees of, uh, of NASCAR. Of NASCAR. And so they should win every race between those six drivers. They should, and you know, even if they sign him this year, there could be no room to put him because pretty much five-car operation is the max right now in NASCAR. There's no rules saying you can have more or less against it, but if they want to, they can move him over to Stuart Haas Racing, which has a contractual agreement with Hendrick for cars, engines, and everything else. So it's basically a subsidiary team. So you could still have your Super 6 team, but you're looking now at the powerhouse. You are looking at the Yankees of motorsports. All right, coming up next, caught in the crosslights. Yet another athlete stumbles, finds a PR nightmare. We'll tell you who it is next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best 
two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what's, or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Well, it's been an interesting week for one of the model organizations in all of sports. The Pittsburgh Steelers, owned by the Rooney family, one of the class families in all of sports. Santonio Holmes has had his problems off of the field. And earlier this week, the Steelers said, enough. And they traded him to the New York Jets for a fifth-round pick. Later in the week, we found out that Ben Roethlisberger, the face of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he of the $102 million contract, will not be charged in the alleged sexual assault of a Georgia college student on March 5th in a bar there. Roethlisberger met on Tuesday with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. And we will find out what happens following that meeting. We know one thing for sure, is that the Roonies are fed up with this type of behavior. And... If Ben Roethlisberger was a cat, he's on his ninth life right now. He has no more room for air off of the field. We've seen him use bad judgment riding his motorcycle without a helmet. We've seen him have a civil suit filed against him last year from an incident in Lake Tahoe. And now we have this incident. After a while, it becomes more than mere coincidence that these things happen to you and you have to start to really question someone's judgment off the field. Hall of Fame quarterback Terry Bradshaw of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who has won four Super Bowls and is now a broadcaster for Fox, he had this to say about Roethlisberger and his relationship with Roethlisberger this week. Our relationship is not any good. When I told him to park the motorcycle, he got pissed. All right. Then he had the accident. And since then, there's, you know, he doesn't like me and I'm learning not to like him. And he wants to break all my records. And I say, go break them. I, I really don't care. I've done my job. My job is over. Now you have your shot. But he has got to, in my, in my, in my opinion, he has got to realize who he is. He is an elite athlete in the National Football League. No, he's got an image problem right now. Best thing to do is don't ever put yourself in that position again. When you're through playing football, do whatever you want to do. But right now, you know, stay, stay clean. Don't ever put yourself in that position again. He's done it twice. If he does it again, I can almost guarantee you he will not be a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers any longer. And he may not be playing in the NFL. Roger Goodell is not going to stand for this kind of a black eye. On his league. Now, also news this week Pittsburgh based PLB Sports, who markets Big Ben beef jerky, they've severed their five year business relationship with Roethlisberger. This is the first sponsor that we've seen drop Roethlisberger because of his negative PR. Nathan, the guys made poor decisions. We saw the Steelers trade Santonio Holmes. Uh, 
I don't know when enough is enough, but again, I think he's on his ninth life. Well, here's the thing. First of all, Ben Roethlisberger has not been convicted of anything. So that's the first thing to point out here. And yeah, he's put himself in some bad situations. But the problem is it's so tough for athletes at this level and this caliber to be anywhere that couldn't result in some sort of situation. The The motorcycle was a poor, poor judgment. And obviously that could have affected his football career. If he's out at a bar with some friends having some drinks, which could be, you know, you could say that's a poor decision. He hasn't been convicted of anything. He's not married. He didn't do a Tiger Woods and cheat on his wife. So I guess I'm not ready to, to you know, put Ben down yet in terms of these accusations. Well, there's two things I have to say about that. Number one is it looks like there was going to be a civil suit, and now looks like there's some kind of a settlement in the works. He doesn't want any more embarrassing details coming out. So just because there's not enough evidence to convict him in the court of law doesn't mean that there wouldn't be a lot of sore details released in the civil suit. My second point is, and we've talked about this many times on the show, there was the court of law and there's the court of public opinion. And after this has happened for the third time with poor judgment, I think in the court of public opinion, People are starting to look at Ben Roethlisberger as a guy who, at the very least, makes poor decisions and, as Terry Bradshaw says, puts himself in situations. Well, I think what's hard for me is just that there's so many other athletes out there that have done such worse things, even if they aren't convicted of anything, that, you know, Ben has been getting so much press lately. And I just it, it baffles me that guys who do far worse things get less press than than Ben getting accused of, you know, some sexual misconduct at a, at a club, which may or may not have happened. Well, we don't know. We weren't there. Uh, you know, the police reports have been pretty uh, sealed. And you're right. You know, you're innocent until proven guilty. But I know I get what you're saying about the court of public opinion. It happens to every athlete. It's and, just some and, athletes it's worse for. And look, if you're Roger Goodell and you wake up every day this offseason for the last, you know, month or two and you see that. All the major news outlets are talking about Ben Roethlisberger, and he's in trouble, and it doesn't portray your brand, which is the NFL, in a very positive light. So, look, again, as we've said a million times, athletes, celebrities, they get in trouble all the time. We shouldn't be surprised. But I think Roger Goodell has shown that he is a uh, firm believer in discipline, and he's been very harsh with people who have not followed the rules off the field. And, uh, you know, Big Ben is not immune to punishment from Roger Goodell just because of the success that he's had on the field. So this will be interesting to watch for sure. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the Masters. Phil Mickelson's big win, his third green jacket, big TV numbers, big online numbers. And Tiger, he showed us in many regards, he's the same old Tiger. And that's not necessarily a good thing. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes, 
and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. All right, we are going to recap the Masters for you. Lots of different storylines here, but let's talk about how many people tuned in to watch the Masters. First of all, ESPN's two-day coverage became the most viewed combined two-round golf telecast in cable history. Not just ESPN history, cable history. 4.936 million viewers on Thursday. And again, um, it surpassed their coverage of the 2008 U.S. Open playoff on Monday. Rocco Mediate and Tiger Woods. So lots of people tuning in to watch ESPN Thursday-Friday coverage. Then CBS... Averaged 13.8 million viewers for its weekend telecast of the Masters. It was the highest numbers for CBS since the Masters in 2001. So we had said, you know, on the show last week that this had the recipe for pulling in the casual fan and for being the highest rated Masters ever. Not, but it was the third most watched golf tournament since 1986. So big, big numbers. I'm sure ESPN's thrilled. CBS probably very happy. Um, online numbers were through the roof. I mean, basically, it was up like 101% on CBSSports.com. So more and more people watching online. We talked last week about how more people are watching March Madness online on CBSSports.com and NCAA.org. Really, the two gold standard properties for watching online, March Madness and the Masters. And, you know, I think people have to be happy with the numbers, but they weren't quite what we thought they would be. Well, I'm surprised they weren't what we thought they would be. I mean, I still thought, even though the tournament ended the way it did, I thought it had the makings of so many great stories coming down the stretch. You had Anthony Kim on the leaderboard, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson. I mean, you had some. You had Tom Watson at one point. You had Freddie Couples going into the final day. I sat down on Sunday so excited to see what was going to happen right up until the very end. The gripe that I have about online and mobile is after having bought the $10 application for my iPhone for March Madness, which I thought was fantastic again this year, I was terribly disappointed with the Masters application. It was slow. It was spotty. I barely could get it to go whether I had it wireless or I was on the 3G network. I thought it was poor when you compare it to March Madness. That's the only gripe I have thus far about the Masters. My thought about the overall range, I think if Tiger had come in on Sunday and birdied one, two, or three, or even the fourth the hole to kind of you know not have that downward slide, I think the numbers would have been bigger. But Nathan's right. The Masters app, I mean, it's controlled by the Masters itself. Right. And this is not a CBS property, but still, you're right. I mean, for four days, it's great to have, but it does absolutely nothing the rest of the year. At least the March Madness one, you can go back and watch, you know, highlights and stuff. But the Masters app is nothing. But, you know, overall, I don't think you could have asked if you're ESPN or CBS for a better outcome to a weekend. So 16.7 million viewers, that was the peak audience on Sunday as Phil was coming down 18. And... 
Phil made some amazing shots. His shot on 13 was just ridiculous out of the trees. Uh, Tiger had an up-and-down round on Sunday. You know, if Tiger and Phil had been the last pairing, maybe the numbers are higher. But this is good for golf. It's getting people to tune in. Um, So many different storylines with Phil and with Tiger. Let's start with Phil. I mean, you know, it's a great story. Obviously, his wife was there. The nice moment they shared after he got off of 18. Everyone knows his wife is battling breast cancer. Um, But let's not make, there were so many articles written this week. Let's not make Phil the anti-Tiger. I mean, I've said this so many times on our show. And Jason Whitlock wrote a great column this week. We don't really know what these athletes or celebrities do in their free time. So let's not build Phil up to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then if he turns out not to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, act surprised or say, oh, no, here's another hero that's fallen. But for the moment, on Sunday when he won the Masters, it was a great moment. And, you know, he's been through a lot. His family's been through a lot in the last year. And it was a really cool moment. And CBS captured the moment, I thought, pretty nicely. I would have liked to have seen Phil interviewed right after he got off the course. Um, but they weren't able to do that. Uh, ESPN, I thought I had a good sit down with him uh, for Sunday Night Conversation. But uh, really interesting promotion with Phil Mickelson. This is from Darren Ravel of CNBC. Golf retailer Golfsmith is giving away $1 million in new Callaway drivers. So consumers who either walked into a a Golfsmith store and registered for the promotion or bought a new Callaway driver between March 10th and April 7th, they now get their driver for free. So this is a really cool promotion. I mean, you walk in, you buy your driver, and then you find it, hey, Phil won the tournament, and when Phil wins tournaments, Golfsmith gives away golf clubs, and you don't know, you know, hey, you don't know if Phil's going to win this tournament, so if you're going to get your golf club or not. But it, it's a cool promotion. It's a cool promotion, and I'm kicking myself because I was standing in a Golfsmith store Wednesday night, and I'm thinking to myself, and I saw the board, I'm like, ah, oh, Phil might win. I was like, eh, I'm not going to enter. I mean, he's got a slight chance, but I really think Tiger is somebody else. With, and now I'm kicking myself because uh, my new Nike driver is gone, and it broke, and I could really use a new Callaway, <laughs> and I'm kind of depressed about well, it. But, hey, it's a, it's a great promotion. You know, one of the things we talk about in the show a lot when we see promotions like this is the insurance policies that companies take right. out. And I would love to know, and I don't know that we've got the numbers in front of us right now, what the insurance policy is. For that, I mean, that's a lot. Of, that's a million bucks again. We've seen this happen time and time again where all of a sudden, I mean, Golfsmith probably went, whoops, we didn't know if he was going to win or not, and now we got to pay out the drivers. I want to say I saw somewhere somewhere in the neighborhood between one hundred and fifty and 300000 for the total insurance on it. Yeah, but, I mean, when you factor in the PR value they're going to oh, get based on this, it's a slam dunk. I mean, it's a home run for them. It's a really good promotion, and, you know, Think of all the people that get new drivers courtesy of Phil. You think they're Phil Mickelson fans? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, you brought up a good point to just go back for a second. I think what we're what we're discovering, we talked about it earlier with Ben Roethlisberger, is we really don't know what these athletes are like. I mean, we've seen it happen with Tiger. We've seen it happen with Big Ben now. Do we really know if Phil has any skeletons? I mean, so many times we go, oh, they're, they're such a great role model and such a great competitor, and they're, you know, they're this and they're that. And then all of a sudden, the skeletons start to come out. I, I'm beginning to trust less and less athletes as far as what their image is like in front of the public. Well, we should. I mean, look, most of these athletes, 
are human just like we are. We make mistakes. They make mistakes. They have a lot more temptations than we do. And they're packaged a certain way to be sold by their sponsors. And all I'm saying is that most of the time, they're not as great as what their packaging is. And we shouldn't act shocked when they don't live up to the packaged aura that is presented to us. Well, well then, why do, then why do we even hold them in high esteem in the first place? That's my question. I understand, yes, as fans, you know, we hold our athletes in high esteem because we respect them and we really want them to do well. And so we think it's great that when they do, you know, we want to be there to cheer for them. But maybe we, you know, maybe I'm saying, hey, let's tone it down a little bit. And, you know, listen, pe- you're right. People stumble. It happens. But let's uh, let's cut Phil some slack. I mean, the guy just won his third green jacket. One of only a handful of guys. It's great. I was happy he won. If you listened to the audio of our show last week, which I went back and listened to today, I said Phil Mickelson was going to win. Nostradamus here. Yes, I will take that. That's not going out on too big of a ledge. But, you know, here's another thing about Phil that people don't realize. Phil Mickelson makes $47 million a year in endorsements. He makes more than LeBron James. He makes more than Peyton Manning. He makes more than Darren G- Derek Jeter. He makes more than Kobe Bryant. There is only one person on the face of the earth that makes more money in endorsements and is an athlete in the United States than Phil Mickelson, and that's Tiger Woods. With Tiger's missteps and his loss of income from several sponsors like Accenture and Gatorade, could Phil Mickelson be narrowing the gap between he and Tiger as far as endorsements, and could we see Phil Mickelson at some point in the not-too-distant future become the most lucrative U.S. athlete out there? Well, here's what's amazing to me, is we all know who's Ty- who Tiger's sponsors were and who they are now, but does Phil look like a walking billboard when he's on the golf course at, compared to Tiger? When you see Tiger, for the most part, you're seeing Nike Tiger. You saw the Buick bag, you've seen the AT&T, but it wasn't as visible. When I see Phil Mickelson... He has more sponsors on, you know, logos and looks patches. Like a NASCAR he guy. looks like a NASCAR guy. And, and I think that's where you're seeing him make up that money because you're not seeing Phil in a lot of commercials outside of endorsing products that you don't see him on in the golf course. Well, and you bring up a good point. So Phil's main sponsors, KPMG, uh, you've got Barclays, and they took out a big ad. Callaway took out a big ad this week. And then he's got to deal with uh, ExxonMobil. He and his wife do a teaching academy. You saw that spot run during the Masters. Here's in, in Phil's defense, you know, we always talk about activating the sponsorship. A lot of Phil's sponsors, they don't run as many commercials with him. Although ExxonMobil, my gosh. Well, sure, that's right. You know, and Callaway's got a spot with him. I don't think I've seen a Barclays Phil Mickelson spot. I don't think I've seen a KPMG Phil Mickelson spot. So, you know, part of that is on the sponsor. If you're going to pay your spokesperson all this money and you don't activate it and bring them to life in advertising that's on you tiger sponsors always did a really good job with activating their sponsorship and bringing his deal with them to life so you know we'll see will phil be more prevalent in ads going forward that's something to watch for will he get more endorsements based on the master's victory i mean if you're Phil Mickelson's agent, do you pick up the phone to Gatorade, to AT&T, to some of the sponsors that said bye-bye to Tiger and say, look, I got the Masters champion. I got a feel-good story. Got a guy who just won his third green jacket, his fourth major. You want to do a deal with us? I don't think you do with a company like Gatorade. I mean, if you look at how they brand their commercials, I mean, you're talking about guys that no knock on Phil or golf for that matter, but you're talking about guys that look like athletes and Phil Mickelson doesn't fit 
that Gatorade mold in terms of the way that they, they market their commercials. I can't see Phil Mickelson in a Gatorade spot. I could see Phil doing a car company spot. I totally could. He used to be with Ford. Ford. Yeah. They aren't together anymore. Buick obviously dropped Tiger GM. That's kind of the, the big money deal out there. We know car companies have lost a lot of money, but is there a car company out there, a Mercedes, a BMW, a Lexus, or someone like that that would go to Phil and say, look, let's do a deal. Oh, Rolex is Phil's other sponsor. So, you know, a lot of golfers don't wear watches during play. Phil does. He has his Rolex on. He makes a lot of money for wearing his Rolex during the course of play. Well, you know, I think maybe after the pictures came out earlier this week, I think Krispy Kreme's on board with that. So, you know. <laughs> Although, I don't know if those are authentic pictures yeah, or not. Yeah, but, but still, it's a, still a feel-good story because, listen, you know, you win your third green jacket. Hey, let's let's roll through Krispy Kreme and, you know, have a, have a nice glazed donut You kid it. me? I'd wear that to the bars. I'd, I'd, I'd wear it around like they bring the Stanley Cup around to bars. Like, that's how I'd sport the green jacket. Let's talk about Tiger for a moment. You know, we've talked about Tiger ad nauseum over the last several months. Everyone wondered what his return to the golf course would be like. We've told you for the last few weeks, don't judge his return based on the Masters because it's a cocoon there. And, you know, it's very insulated. You're not going to see TMZ. You're not going to see People Magazine. You're not going to see people heckling him because they're not going to risk losing their badges that they've had in their families for decades. So it was pretty tame. The one thing I found very interesting, though, is at Tiger's press conference last Monday, he talked about being the new, changed, improved Tiger. I've got my Buddhist bracelet on. I'm going to be more uh, low-key on the golf course. I've heard Tom Watson. I've heard Arnold Palmer. I've heard everyone talk to me about throwing clubs, dropping F-bombs. And also, you know, if I win a major here or there, that's great. But what's really important to me is my relationships with people. He put it all on the bulletin board for us to say, okay, is Tiger going to live up to these words that he's saying to us at this press conference on Monday? Let's listen to some of the words that he said, Bobby. I'm actually going to try and obviously not get as hot when I play. But then again, when I'm not as hot, I'm not going to be as exuberant either. I, I can't play one without the other. And so I've, I made a conscious decision to try and tone down you know, my negative outbursts. And, you know, consequently, I'm sure that my positive outburst will be calmed down as well. Well, <laughs> that didn't work out so well for Tiger as the CBS mics picked up some F-bombs and some JCs and other things that he uttered during the course of play. What we've learned is Tiger is programmed to be who he is. I don't think Tiger's going to change. And you know what? I guess I don't have an enormous problem with how he conducts himself on the golf course. Everyone swears now and again. I've. Is that a swear word on the golf course? I've seen Berger throw yep. the club. Hey, so you know what? My problem is this, though. When you sit in the press conference and you tell me you're going to change, don't tell me you're going to stop and then just a few days later change your ways. And with Tiger, I think what we've learned, and we also saw in his post-match interview, where, frankly, he was a jerk. He was very curt and short, and that's old Tiger. I mean, if we were seeing new Tiger, after the Masters, he would have said, you know what? I'm disappointed I didn't win. I'm pleased that it's my first tournament of the year. I shot 11 under. I want to do better next time. And oh, by the way, congratulations to Phil Mickelson. Where's being a gracious loser? We didn't see any of that from Tiger. We saw the old jerk Tiger. And I don't think Tiger's going to change, so we shouldn't expect him to. Let me, let me defend Tiger here for a minute. It, oh, kills, boy. it kills me to do it, but let me say a couple things. 
the best athletes in the world, your Michael Jordans, Tiger Woods, you know, those type of caliber athletes are good because they have that that fire, that tenacity. I thought Tiger's quote, actually, I enter golf tournaments to win them, not finish fourth, was one of the greatest quotes because it's so true. I mean, it's I, I'm all for gracious athletes and saying, oh, they did such a great job. But that is not what makes a champion. That's not. Guess what? Guess what, Nathan? Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Tom Watson, they all won with class. And they were as competitive as Tiger Woods is, but they did it with dignity. You can win with class. They proved it. Tiger doesn't do it. I, can, I stand corrected in that regard, but I still say every athlete is different. And we're talking about Tiger Woods as the greatest golfer of all time. And I think Not to, better than Jack. Well, not yet by the numbers, but he's still got a long way to go, and I think he's probably going to get there. I, I can't be as critical about Tiger with, you know, with his actions on the golf course. I know he said that, but the focus, the reason Tiger's in this mess is not because he was throwing clubs. It's not because he was cussing on the golf course. It's because of his infidelity, and that was the real issue if if you know people were always disappointed with how he conducted himself in the golf course but that's not why tmz was chasing him around that's not what got him into trouble i don't think that the his actions on the golf course had anything to do with all of his infidelity that was just something they added so that's our master's recap tiger sent in his paperwork this week to enter the u.s open which will be played at pebble beach which He's won the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach before, so we'll see how he does there. Phil has also had lots of success at Pebble Beach, so uh, that should be interesting. Coming up in our final segment, we're going to tell you about a Hall of Fame athlete who's going to take his shot at playing pro golf. Who is it? We'll tell you next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back for our final segment, and Jerry Rice is going to be a Hall of Famer in four months. And Nathan, he is trying his hand at another sport. What is it? It is golf. Rice is uh, he's going to take a crack at the old Nationwide Tour and uh, in hopes of, of being able to play professional golf. I have to say, I've seen Jerry Rice play golf a couple times at Lake Tahoe at the Celebrity Challenge or the Celebrity Golf Tournament up there. He says that his lowest round, 68. That's almost as good as Berger's lowest round. Uh, yeah, for nine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope it happens for him. You know, He's, he's only three years away from possibly being uh, eligible for the Seniors Tour. If he can clean up his game, 
He's on the Champions Tour, baby. Yeah, and it's funny because another ex-49er, John Brody, played the Champions Tour from 1985 to 1998. He won the Security Pacific Classic in 1991. You know, a while ago, we heard that Jordan was going to try and, you know, play on the Champions Tour. He's still not near the Champions Tour, which is the age of 50. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of interesting to see some of these guys who still have that competitive fire. They enjoy golf. But there's such a, a finite number of golfers who can play at that elite level. Consistently. Consistently. I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of great athletes out there that can play at that level uh, t- you know, every now and again. But it, uh, the thing about golf that everybody that's played it knows, it is so difficult to go in day out and day out and shoot in the low 70s. So, Nathan, quickly, uh, little baby boy. Boy. Coming down the pipe pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> That's right. May 25th. What are you doing to prepare? Are you in... Uh, sleeping. You... Lots of sleeping. Really? Yes, sir. Wow. Zachary Edward Roach to be born on May 25th, I hope. Well, congratulations on that. All right. Lots of thank yous on our show. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Doug Zanger, and Brian Griggs. Our sponsors... The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Click on the podcast page. You can find us on iTunes. Type in Sports Business Radio. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. You can become our Facebook friend as well. Enjoy your week. I'm Brian Berger. We'll talk to you next weekend right here on Sports Business Radio. Radio.